you were with us last week, we began to, as we prepare for Christmas, our preparation for the coming of the Lord, really kind of preparing our answer to the question of why did Jesus have to come in the first place, right? What happened and what, what is the purpose of why we celebrate this year after year after year? And last year, focusing on the question of, of why we, what, what, the, the goodness of our creation in the first place, the reality that God created every single one of us to be good, fundamentally good, with an inherent dignity, to experience eternal life and happiness with Him forever. Does it want anything from us? Does it need anything from us? Does it just wants to give us the goodness and the happiness that our hearts were created to experience, right? It also very quickly leads us to the second question of, okay, if that's so great, if we were cre- if this world was created so good, and if God is so good, why do I look out and not honestly see a whole lot of goodness? Why do I not experience a whole lot of goodness? Why do I experience a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of sadness, a lot of suffering? What happened? What went wrong in, what, in, in God's original plan? We need to know the answer to that question if we're going to be able to to see the good news that's going to come as something that is truly transformative. We need to know, like the reality of our state right now, if we're going to long for the Savior whose coming we are preparing for. I think that's what St. John the Baptist is getting at in our gospel today. John the Baptist is the one who prepares the coming of the Messiah. He says, prepare the way of the Lord. He's going and baptizing all these people. And notice the scripture says today, as they acknowledge their sins. He gets every person who comes to be baptized to acknowledge their sins, to acknowledge their need for a Savior, so that as he baptizes them, he's preparing their hearts to long for and to receive the one who is going to come, the one whose sandals he can't even untie, the one who's coming with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It begins by acknowledging the part that's really not fun to focus on, but acknowledging our sins and our need for a Savior. Every single one of us experiences hurt, pain, suffering, illnesses and disease, violence and hatred, the reality of death. Like all of us experience these difficult realities basically almost every day. And these things, when we experience them, they touch us very deeply. They they give us a, a deep impact, right? And a lot of times this sense and this recognition that something's not right about this. I shouldn't experience this hurt or this pain. I shouldn't have to experience the reality of of death. Something's not right about that. And so what my heart, I think, naturally wants to do is to put the blame somewhere. Why did this happen? What's going on? Why aren't things getting better? And I think a lot of times, if I'm honest with myself, as I look out into the world and as I wrestle with these realities, especially as I'm hurting... I usually only see two characters at play. It's usually us and God. And so when I experience hurt, or I see somebody experiencing hurt, the blame tends to either fall on myself, I made this happen, I should have done better, why did I mess this up? On somebody else, why did this person do that? It's their fault, they should pay for this. Or, on God. Why didn't he do anything about it? Why did he let this happen? Why didn't he come to me whenever I needed him, right? We're going to place the blame somewhere. And I think following in John the Baptist's example, it's important that we shine a light on the reality that there is more than one person at play here. I mean, there's more than two people at play here. There's somebody else who's acting and is at work. The question of why things seem like they're so messed up can only be answered by, by the reality of sin and death. 
by the reality of the fact that God's greatest creature rebelled against him and decided to, to wage war on us, to take it out on us. He saw how good God wanted us to be, how much he wanted to bestow upon us, and he couldn't take that. He couldn't handle it. And so he's made it his mission to wage war on us and on this world. The enemy, Satan, the accuser, however you want to call him, he's the one who wants to stay hidden, who wants to stay in the shadows, because sin always thrives in secrecy. And he wants to, to turn our gaze away from where it ought to be kept. He's the only real enemy that we have. And he's the real answer to the question as to why we suffer so much right now. And by shining a light on him and upon his tactics, in a sense we rob him of his power, but we also prepare our hearts to receive God's answer to that. Because God knows, and God is, we know, the victor. Because of the enemy and because we follow him, because of just the reality of sin and death upon every single one of us, we're in a sense living in this war zone where he has chosen to do all that he can to destroy us, to enslave us, to make us think that we are alone and abandoned, to make us believe that we are not good, that we don't have hope, to believe that God is not our father. He's not someone who we can trust, who we can rely on and depend on, but someone who is really not good. He's the one who's abandoned us, who won't provide for us. God, if he really loved you, he would have not let all these things happen, right? All he wants to do is oppress you and restrict you. He's not someone that you can truly depend on. He's not someone who you can truly trust. I think that line of thinking is really the only tactic that the enemy has. And I think every single sin that we commit can be traced back to us not trusting in God. That's the reality of Adam and Eve. They didn't trust God. They were tempted into believing that God was holding back from them. So they grasped the fruit for themselves. I think every sin since then can be traced back to that fundamental lie. God is not with you. God is not for you. The enemy, I think, has two main realities, two main tactics that he uses, almost like his proof, as evidence, as power, to make us believe that. And that's the reality of sin and death. No matter how hard we try, those are things that we cannot escape. We can't get around it. No matter how good technology gets, no matter how holy we seem to get, we're faced day after day after day with the reality that we are trapped in the grasp of sin and death. We can't get around it. How many of us have a particular sin, a particular struggle, that no matter how hard we try, we just can't seem to get around it? We say something or we do something that we know is wrong, we know is bad, we don't enjoy, yet we do it anyway. St. Paul talks about how so often we do the things that we don't want to do, and we don't do the things that we actually do want to do. And it seems like that sin and death are these powers, and aren't just things that we do, but they're these powers that have us firmly in their grasp, and we, we can't seem to do anything about it. I think the purpose of, of shining the light on this, the purpose of this homily, is twofold. Number one, to help us to see who the real enemy is. It's not us. It's not our fault. It's not somebody else's fault. It's not God's fault. And the pressure is not on us to fix it. It's kind of like a piece in that. When I see who the real problem is, it almost like I have clarity. I can see, and I can see reality for what it is. I don't have to believe the lies anymore. It's not my fault, and it's not somebody else's fault. It's the fault of the enemy who's trapped us, who's trapped every single one of us, and who's distorted our image of God. And like St. John the Baptist in the Gospel, we're going to shine a light on that. 
and see the reality of, of our state without the, what the Lord has done for us. But also, the second point, because we really are powerless to do anything about it, the second purpose is to make us long for the God who's going to do something about it. The God who isn't, who isn't just content to sit back and watch on the sidelines, but who's coming to our rescue. In the face of the lie that says God is not with us, we have Emmanuel, God with us. That's why, that, that's why this, this feast that we're preparing for is so important. And praise God that like this isn't the end of the story. Praise God, like we heard in the first reading today, that a shoot will sprout from the stump of Jesse. God is coming to our rescue. But to see this rescue as extraordinary and as overwhelming, we do have to appreciate and recognize our need to be saved. Our powerlessness to save ourselves. That makes us long for the coming of the Savior that much more. I'd invite you today, and I invite you this week, to really shine a light on those parts, those parts of your heart that do feel accused, that feel isolated, alone, hopeless, or discouraged, or hurting. Shine a light there. Let those feelings come to the surface, and let them beget in your heart a longing for the Savior. May we be convicted of our need for that Savior, our need to be rescued, and a hope to know with confidence that He is truly coming, that God with us will be made manifest. May that hope be born again in our hearts today. Amen.